You may open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3, where we'll return to our study of the book of Joshua. We just sang about the promised land. Abraham had entered the land of Canaan after God called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And it was 430 years later when God came down on Mount Sinai and made the covenant of works with Moses and the children of Israel. Then they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. They are now at the bank of the Jordan River 470 years later after God told Abraham, Look east, look west, look north and south. All this land I will give thee and thy seed after thee. Now, Israel was going to possess the land, but we know from Hebrews chapter 11 that the greater fulfillment of the greater fulfillment that Abraham saw is heaven. Oh, brethren, save your money and don't send it to buy the Middle East sand like so many televangelists want you to do. Heaven's free by the precious blood of Christ. And that's true Canaan that we're headed for. No wonder it's called Abraham's bosom, because Abraham's there, and we're going to be there with him. Caleb, we're glad to have you here. I wish you could be here for the rest of the book of Joshua, because we're going to run into the man that you're named after. He was a great man. He was a friend of Joshua. The two of them were great men. Caleb wanted the mountain that had all the giants living on it when he got to the land of Canaan. Because he trusted God like no other of that generation. And he said, don't give me some ordinary army to fight. I want the Anakims. What a man. Give me this mountain or words you should remember all of your life, Caleb. Those are the words of Caleb in the Bible. Give me this mountain that has the giants on it. That's where I want my inheritance to be. Oh, brethren. We have many verses to cover. You've read them, so we'll skim the surface and see what the Lord has for us here in Joshua 3 and 4. When you think about Israel coming out of Egypt, and if you have a mental map in your head, the land of Canaan is long and narrow, and it runs north and south. And we had maps for you to look at. God could have brought Israel up the Sinai Peninsula, through what would become the territory of Judah, straight into Canaan. But he took them on a roundabout way, so they had to cross the Jordan River. And I want you to see already the first practical lesson for your souls. The Lord sometimes doesn't take you the easiest route. He'll take you to a place where you've got to cross the flooded Jordan. We're all going to cross it one of these days, aren't we? When the monitors are measuring your heart rate and your blood pressure and the hiss of the oxygen tanks are leaving some concentrated oxygen at your nostrils, then we're going to cross a Jordan, aren't we? But we have a Joshua that's already crossed it for us. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Jehovah the Savior. And He's crossed it for us. And not only is He the captain of the Lord's hosts, He is also the high priest himself. You are going to see a division of labor in Joshua chapter 3 where Joshua 
the captain of the Lord's host, as far as men speak, told the priests to take the Ark of the Covenant and walk into the water. But the Lord Jesus Christ did it all Himself. And He saved us with an everlasting salvation. And He has secured it for us. And we can cross Jordan on dry ground. Are we ready for it? Are we preparing our hearts for that? I'm trusting you to help me in that day. And I will help you in that day. And together we'll live and die in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll rejoice right on through the Jordan River. The Lord took them the long way around. And so they're in a little town called Shittim. And there, in chapter 1, the Lord spoke to Joshua. And in chapter 2, we learned about Rahab. We've already studied chapters 5 through 8 about a month ago or longer. And so now we come to chapter 3. Joshua's been charged. Rahab has been confirmed. And here we are. We need to cross the Jordan River. The last time the nation of Israel stood here was 40 years earlier. And that foolish, wicked, and fearful generation wouldn't take the land of Canaan. So the Lord killed them all in the wilderness, and they lost God's best for their lives. They could have inherited Canaan, but they refused it. And when they did repent, it was too late. Because God had sworn His wrath against them, they are never going to enjoy my rest because of their disobedience. Here we are, verse 1 of chapter 3. I'm going to read, give the sense, and we'll proceed through the chapters by the grace of God. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. He rose early in the morning. We love to see a man who knows what God wants him to do, and he doesn't delay. In Psalm 119, David said, I delayed not to keep thy commandments. A man with zeal, when he's been told what he ought to do, he goes and does it. And Joshua goes and does it. He rose early in the morning to get about this difficult task. Now the Jordan River was going to be a frightening event. It was springtime, so mountain snows had melted to flood that river. It was already a swift flowing river. It was going to be difficult to get 600,000 footmen plus wives and children across it with all their stuff. And once they crossed it, if the enemies of Canaan were to attack them, there's no way of retreat. It was a fearful event. One generation flunked it. This generation is not going to flunk it. They're going to cross the Jordan River. And so they rose early in the morning to be about the work that God had given them to do Verse 2, it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host and they commanded the people saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Can we learn a lesson just from those words? We don't want to move without the Lord's leading. If the Bible doesn't tell us and the Spirit doesn't lead us, and a multitude of counselors doesn't confirm us, stay put. When you see the priests of God lifting up the ark of God and moving toward the river, then go ahead and pack up your tent, because it's safe. Don't you try to cross that river before you see the ark of the covenant going toward it. You wait. There was no army corps of engineers. What a waste of manpower. 
They didn't have to fling pontoon bridges across the Jordan River. They didn't have to have green beanies slinging themselves by ropes across the river. The Lord's going to do all the work. And the key element was to have the presence of God going first, and that was in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. The Lord's made a covenant with us, and He's given us a written manual comprised of 27 books, 260 chapters called the New Testament. And that tells us where we go, when we go, and how we go. And we must commit ourselves to the New Testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have a little gold box to follow. We have His Word. And it's His covenant with us. That's why it's called the New Testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. You've never done what you're about to do. This is new territory. Do you ever feel like you're in new territory sometimes and you're not sure what you ought to do? And I do want to derive some practical lessons from the Word of God rather than just the inspired history. There are times, like Jehoshaphat and Asa and others, when you say, I don't know what to do. Follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. How do we follow the Lord in the New Testament? By His Word. By His Spirit, by His ministers, by many counselors, by our fathers, by our husbands. We follow the Lord through the means He's given us to know His will for our lives. 2,000 cubits is 1,000 yards. And they were to stay away from it 1,000 yards. So that everyone could see that ark out there in front. The congregation could spread out very wide behind it. They could all witness the miracle of God. And they would know which direction to approach that riverbank. Because many, or all, would be able to see the ark when it's a thousand yards in front. And so they approach the river, and they're they're given instructions on how to do this. Ye have not passed this way heretofore. No one had ever walked straight down into the Jordan River and made it across the way that they were about to. Verse 5, And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. This is a precious verse. If you are facing something fearful, if you are facing something discouraging, if you are being frustrated financially, if you have health problems, and I am not a preacher of a prosperity gospel, like you can find on television. However, I will tell you that verse 5 is important for understanding chapters 3 and 4. Sanctify yourselves. That means get your life holy. Confess your sins. Get down on your knees and beg the God of heaven to come to you and restore whatever fellowship is lacking. Because then God will do wonders for you. Even though God had already purposed what He was going to do. There was a means involved, and that was the people of God getting themselves right with the Lord. This is throughout the Bible. Follow with me, because we don't have time to look up 10 or 20 references, but just think with me. Genesis 35. Jacob returns with 11 sons and 4 wives to Bethel, the place where he had had the dream of God showing angels ascending and descending on a 
on a stairway into heaven. He had made an altar there and called it the house of God. On his way back, he comes to Bethel. And he tells his family, get rid of any strange gods among you. Anything that you are doing, playing with the world or idolatry or false religion, get it out. Wash your clothes. It's Genesis 35, 1 through 3. It's why we don't believe in casual worship. It's one of the places why we don't believe in casual worship. Because God is to be worshipped with reverence and godly fear. And you don't do that by coming in here in flip-flops and shorts. I don't care where your heart is. And God doesn't care where your heart is. Jacob didn't care where his family's heart was. He told them, change your clothes and get washed. We used to understand that in our country it was called your Sunday best. Where did that thought come from? Because they knew that when you approach the Lord, it should be your best set of clothes, not to show off. If we ever had a clothes horse in here, or a clothes mare, you know, we'd say something to them. But we don't have that. We don't dress to show off to anyone else. We just want to come reverently, formally, seriously, soberly, gravely into the presence of God because we're told to. We're going to rejoice through our hearts and our lips. Sanctify yourselves. Genesis 35, they did it. You come to Exodus 19. God was going to come down on Mount Sinai. Moses told the people, wash your clothes. Don't come at your wives. Prepare yourselves for three days before the Lord comes down on Mount Sinai. They were sanctifying themselves. And if you want God to do wonders in your life, to help you and to be with you, sanctify yourselves. Put the Lord back in the preeminent place He's supposed to have. Confess your sins. Throw out the world. That's what it means here. As you go through Genesis, Exodus, you go through the Bible... And whenever they needed God to do something great for them, they fasted, they, they prayed, they put on sackcloth and ashes if they'd been sinning. They consulted the Lord. They got serious. We come all the way into the Acts of the Apostles. And we're in Acts chapter 13. And it lists several teachers, apostles, and prophets that were in the church at Antioch of Syria. And it says they were fasting and praying. And guess what happened? The Holy Spirit said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work I have for them. When did that great movement toward the Gentiles take place? When the ministry of the church in Antioch of Syria was fasting and praying. Sanctify yourselves. The Lord sometimes has to bring fear into our lives or trouble in order to get us to do this. We should be doing this every day. But we all know the truth, don't we? When we are prospering, our knees lose their calluses. When God brings trouble, we get our calluses back, don't we? And and so He has to bring trouble. He has to bring a Jordan River that we have to cross. This is the result. This This is what we should do. This is the effect that it should have on us. Sanctify yourselves. Every one of you, including me, that is facing any trial or difficulty or affliction, purify your life. It's that simple. Get holy. That's what the word sanctify means. Get holy. Confess your sins. Turn to the Lord. Beg Him for mercy. Throw anything out of your life that God would be displeased with. And He's able to do wonders for you. 
And I'm not talking about taking your seed and turning it into a harvest. I am talking about every other area of your life. As you put your trust in Him and purify your life, God will be with you. I want you to notice the wording here, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He'll give thee the desires of thine heart. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. Verse 6, Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Joshua has become the replacement for Moses. We saw it in chapter 1, and now he's putting it into practice. He orders the priests what to do. He is not from the tribe of Levi, but he tells the, the priests what to do, and they take up the Ark and they move toward the water. What a dramatic scene. Verse 7, The Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. Brethren, every every one of you, my brothers, and if you're young, you'll have these positions. You're either a husband... And or, and a father, and a grandfather maybe. Maybe you're a master and you have a company where men report to you. Or you're a master and you run a department and men report to you. The Lord is able to magnify you if you will obey Him. This is just a little practical sideline. If you obey Him, the Lord will bless you because the Lord is always on the side of authority when that authority is trusting the Lord. So do it. Sanctify yourselves and be a righteous leader. And God will magnify you before your family, your wife, your business, or whatever the case might be. But here he's doing it for Joshua because Joshua needed it. Following Moses was a hard act to follow. Moses for 40 years had done wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the wilderness. Who is this Joshua? Everyone could have said at home around the supper table. How are we possibly going to defeat the nations of Canaan, if we've, if we've got Joshua, we needed Moses. And the Lord said, I'll take care of you. Remember how it all started? If thou wilt hide my word in thy heart and meditate upon it day and night, if you will not turn to the left hand nor to the right hand, I will prosper you and make your way prosperous and give you good success. Chapter 1. Joshua did that. And the Lord is blessing Joshua. The Lord's about to magnify him because this is one great miracle, like the Red Sea, which Moses led the nation of Israel through. Verse 8, Thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. This ark of the covenant, their most valued possession, the priests were to take into the edge of the water. Verse 9, And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither. And hear the words of the Lord your God. This is the history. And this is a man of God. This is a great father. This is a great husband. This is a great pastor. This is a great ruler. This is a great master. The greatest authority. The greatest leverage. The greatest value. That we men have 
is to say, come here to here. With two different spellings. Are you with me? Come here, come here, to hear the word of the Lord. The greatest thing we have to give our children, to give our wives, to give anyone, is the word of God. Notice what Joshua said to the people. Come hither, come here, and hear the words of the Lord your God. He didn't invite them to come and hear something he had to say. He said, come here, I want to give you the word of God. This is what the word, the Lord has said and what He is going to do, what He has declared. That is why we marry in the Lord. That is why we marry someone that fears the Lord. Because you have the greatest leverage with that person to bring the Word of God to bear on their lives. Either the husband or the wife can bring the Word of God to bear. And if you have someone that fears the Lord, they are going to humble themselves before the Word of God. You can bring them into a church where the whole counsel of God is preached, and they will hear the messages, and they will tremble in their hearts before the Word of God, and they will change to please the God that saved them and put that fear in their hearts. Joshua did not say, I want to talk to you. I want to have a fireside chat. He said, I want to share with you the words of the Lord. I want to teach you the words of God. A great lesson for all of us. And here are the words of the Lord. Verse 10. Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that He will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe of man. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon and heap. This was very valuable for Joshua to tell the nation, this is what God has said He's going to do, and then to have it happen so that all the nation would know that Joshua knows what God's going to do. Joshua is now our mediator with the Lord, like Moses was. So that's why we're going through this dramatic scene of Joshua telling them so carefully in advance what's going to happen. Then there's a reason given for it in verse 10. Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that He will without fail drive out the seven nations of Canaan. The lesson of of the Jordan River. They could have got to the Jordan River and there could have been a two-year drought, so they could have walked through two feet of water. They could have gone through the country of Judea, the tribal inheritance of Judah, and not faced the Jordan River. But they needed this so that the people's hearts could be confirmed that God would indeed take care of the seven nations on the other side of that river. Do not we know this for a fact in our own lives? Because God has delivered us in the past, we know He will deliver us in the future in addition to His Word. His Word first. But has He delivered you in the past? More than once? Dramatic deliverances? Praise the Lord He has. 
And so we rely on those. And the Lord causes those in our lives for us to trust Him at times like this. And if you fail to remember what He's done for you in the past, you are sacrificing your own peace and courage and faith in a time of trouble. He has delivered us. And the Lord... I love it when the Lord tells me why He does some things. You know, when the... When the secret will of God becomes the revealed will, because we have a chapter called Joshua 3, it's a blessing. Amen. We're told why they faced the Jordan River. We're told why it was flooding and why it was going to congeal. So that those people would know, with this God with us, bring on the enemies. There would be no fear. The Lord does things that way. But brethren, if we do not take the time to raise up stones as a memorial and to remind us of God's deliverances, we lose. Our faith will be weak. We'll not be sure if God's going to be with us or not. But He has been with us. I'm 50 years old, which isn't very old, and some of you mock a 50-year-old man because he's so young. But the Lord has never failed me. He's never forsaken me. Though I have forsaken Him. He has never failed me. When I have called upon Him and obeyed Him, He has always been there for me. And the instances are many. They can hardly be counted up to Him. And I thank Him for every one of them. And my poor children, at least the three that are living at my address still, are going to have to endure some of them this afternoon and evening. Because I want to practice what I'm encouraging all of you to do. They're going to have to look at some stones of their father's life. I have been afraid. Very afraid. He's taken away all my fear. I have been financially so discouraged. And he saved me through that. I have had a couple of serious health problems. And he delivered me from them. And I can go through the list. We all need to do that so that we'll know that the Lord is with us for the ones that come in the future because I want to promise you something. They're coming in the future. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. They're, They're coming. They're coming. Children, they're coming. Adults, they're coming. But we're supposed to rely on what God's already done for us. And He's done many things. How do you like the way that Joshua described the Lord? In verse 10, he describes Him as the living God. Why would he say that? That's, that's not all that common in the Scriptures. He calls the God of Israel the living God. Because on the other side of that river were a whole bunch of dead ones. Idols, sticks, stones, can't see, can't hear, can't speak, can't move. They gotta carry them around and screw them down lest they fall over like Dagon. And they that worship them are like unto them, the Bible says. Is that harsh? That's harsh, isn't it? Anybody that worships an idol is just as dumb as the block of stone they're looking at. In the opinion of the God of heaven. And if it's the opinion of the God of heaven, it's mine as well. But I thank God that He saved me from idol worship because if it hadn't been for the grace of God, my parents would have brought me up rubbing the fat belly of Buddha and thinking that was my Savior. It's the grace of God. For those of you that traveled with me to Malaysia and saw those little cardboard and paper Mercedes-Benz 
where you could pop a $50 bill to the vendor outside a Buddhist temple and buy yourself a cardboard Mercedes 500 SL and take it in and burn it on the altar to Buddha so that your relatives in heaven could be driving a Mercedes 500 SL. Now that is superstition. That is terrible superstition. If you want to give your parents a Mercedes 500 SL, do it here where they can drive it around. We can see it in the parking lot. If you want to honor your parents, buying them a little paper. Do you remember that? Unbelievable. Thank you, Lord, for saving our souls. Hadn't been for the grace of God, I'd be trying to help you out, Dad. But you're not even there yet, so... By the grace of God. He calls Him the living God. Where is that expression used in the New Testament? It tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, that the Thessalonians had turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. What a testimony that church had. But there's more than that in this little paragraph that Joshua speaks. He says in verse 11, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord... Of all the earth. And then again in verse 13. The Lord of all the earth. Because they're about to cross Jordan and go into a land possessed by seven other nations. And he wants his people to know, and Joshua wants them to know, that the Lord God is Lord of all the earth and he sovereignly reigns over other nations. And they did not need to fear those nations. Whenever you read of political events going on in our nation or the world. There's nothing to worry about. He is the Lord of all the earth, and that's why the words are here. He is the Lord of all the earth. There is no nation, there is no politician outside of His control and rule. And He is going to rule them for our profit if we're trusting in Him. Verse 14, It came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as they that bear the Ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped in the brim of the water. For Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon an heap very far from the city Adam that is beside Zaratan, And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. Praise the Lord. What a great event. Exactly as God told Joshua... Exactly as God told Joshua told the people of Israel, so they did it. The priests took the Ark of the Covenant and walked toward that overflowing Jordan River. This time of harvest is the springtime. It's the harvest of barley, which takes place in the spring. How do we know that? Because in chapter 5, Joshua observes the Passover, which takes place in the spring. But the Holy Spirit wants us to know in those parentheses, Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest. 
How was the Lord able to keep track of the Jordan that it was going to be extra full of water at this time when Israel got there after 40 years of wandering in circles? Is that hard for the Lord? Nothing is hard for the Lord. Don't you ever think in your life about why is this happening and this happening at the same time? I'll tell you why this is happening and that is happening at the same time. Because the Lord of all the earth is trying your faith and building your faith and teaching you patience. Humble yourself before them, sanctify yourself, and trust Him, and take a step into the brim of the water. You're, you're facing due west. The Jordan River is in front of you. The priests step in the water, and it is cut. The water that flows to the left flows into the Dead Sea. It's called here the Salt Sea, the Sea of the Plain. It just went on down into the Dead Sea. The water on the right just backed all up and was stood up and heaped up and congealed. Very very far up river. And these two little towns, we don't even know where they are anymore. No one knows where they were. We're not even told. But it was a long way the water backed up. And so all of a sudden, there's all this dry ground. Water is running in one direction and being backed up in another. And the people march through on dry ground in a very great heap of water. Now, you've never heaped water or piled water, like I said earlier this morning from Psalm 114, but what a lesson this was. The people followed the Lord and what the Lord told them. When the Lord tells us to do something, no matter how many want to go with us or how few want to go with us, we follow the Lord. And if we follow the Lord, the Lord will be with us and He will take care of us. He'll divide water. He'll give us an inheritance. He'll give us the promised land. He'll fulfill everything in His Word to those people that will follow the Lord only. Joshua's not out there. Joshua's saying, Priests, approach the river with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. And when they touch the edge of the water, what a dramatic cutting of the water. The waters were cut off. Those that came down from above out of the Sea of Galilee and out of the mountains on both sides of the Jordan River were stacked up and the rest of the waters ran into the Dead Sea and they went through on dry ground. And the priests stood there in the middle of the Jordan River on dry, firm ground according to the 17th verse of this chapter. Chapter 4. It came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan that the Lord spake unto Joshua saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe of man. Now, he's already said this in verse 12 of chapter 3. And this is why you read the Bible very carefully. Sometimes a little hint will be dropped of something that's going to take place. And you're given no further details in chapter 3. But in chapter 4, you're given the same words all over again to take you back to tell you what 3.12 was all about. Are are you with me? The the Bible expects you to read a little bit. Is Is that unfair of the Lord? Now he's going to go back and pick up 3.12 and explain it a little bit for us. And it brings us to chapter 4, which is another lesson. The lesson of chapter 3 is to, to put the Lord first in your life and to follow Him wherever He leads you. Wherever He leads you, follow. Trust Him. Obey Him. Put Him first through His Word, by His Spirit, through His ministers, through your husband, your father, through a multitude of counselors, Find the will of God for your life and do it. Sanctify yourselves and He'll do wonders in your life. 
They sanctified themselves. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. That's why it's worded the way it is. The lesson is given in very specific detail, and they did it in that specific detail. The ark went before the people. All the people followed the ark. We're told that a couple of times so that we'll know what we ought to do. Now we come to chapter 4, and that is to remember the things God has done for us. They were to remember the great event of the Jordan River for all time to come so that their children would know our God is able to do things like that. And it would be spread from generation to generation. In Psalm 78, fathers are told to teach your children the fear of the Lord. And they are supposed to teach their children. And those children are to teach a generation to come. Four generations at least are mentioned in Psalm 78 and Joel chapter 1. So that every father would have a question from his son as they traveled near Gilgal. Dad, what's that pile of stones there? Son, the Lord our God brought us out of Egypt and brought us to the Jordan River. And this land that we're in now, you know where you have your home and where you go to school. All that we have now is because God brought us in here and gave it to us, but He started the whole thing by cutting off the waters of the Jordan River and separating them and letting us go through on dry ground. Really, Dad? Yes, son. You know, for one generation, I was there. Then for the next generation, Grandpa was there. He told me about it. Every year he told me about it. When we'd come to springtime and barley harvest. Praise the Lord to think of families that did that. And we can have families that do that today. Because God's done great things for us. Verse 2, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe of man, and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. Let's stop there for just a moment. God tells Joshua what to do. Joshua tells the people what to do. There is this constant, God speaks, Joshua relays it to the people, and the people do it. God speaks to every one of us through His Word, and every father and husband ought to take that Word and speak the very same thing to his family. That is, how, that is one of the means God has chosen for the perpetuation of truth in the earth. From father to son, from father to wife, from husband to wife. They were to take up these stones upon their shoulders. This wasn't a little pebble, was it? This wasn't a little stone you could hold in your hand. Now, we're not told any more than you to put a stone on your shoulder. I doubt if, I doubt if these were frail geeks that were picked out of each tribe to go out in the middle of that river. What kind of a memorial would that be? You'd have to have a magnifying glass to find it when you got to Gilgal. They probably picked out some pretty great men to go out in the middle of that river and get up some big stones in their shoulder. You know, all I can think about when I read this is a few times happening into the World's Strongest Man contest where those guys 
those steroid freaks are trying to pick up those great big boulders and put them up on a ledge. They have them on their shoulders. And you can see 12 tribes with 12 men, and each tribe would want the biggest stone. It's just the way we all work. Twelve tribes, 12 men going out there getting 12 stones, bringing them back, and putting them down on the ground because they have more work to do. There's two memorials, one on the bank and one in the river. So they put the stones down, but now we're told why the stones are important. And we're told twice in this chapter, twice, when the Holy Spirit says something twice in the same chapter, you know it must be important. Why would He repeat Himself? Because it's important for us. Look at verses 6 and 7. Why did they pull these stones out of the middle of the Jordan River? That this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. The Lord wants His works to be remembered. You know I could turn you to Psalms where we could see that in many places. The Lord wants His works to be remembered because His great works have a purging effect on our lives. They build our faith. They increase our courage and confidence. They remind us that prayer works. They'll help us purify our lives if we see the great works of God. So verses 6 and 7 tell us that, and verses 20 through 24 tell us the same thing. And for the sake of time, let's go there quickly. We'll come back. Let me just show you that it's twice in this chapter. Verse 21, And he spake, this is Joshua, spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until ye were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which He dried up from before us until we were gone over. That all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. These events were to teach the children of Israel to fear the Lord their God forever. Twice in this chapter 4, we're told about the stones and their purpose. It's for fathers to children. Fathers to children. We should have no need of God's forgiveness for negligent fathers. We have been taught too much from the Word of God. Let every father this day resolve himself to be a father in fulfillment and compliance by principle in what is in Joshua chapter 4. That he is going to teach his children the mighty works of God that they might fear the Lord all the days of their lives and that they might know that the Lord, he is the mighty God. He is able to do anything that they will ever face in their lives. And they should put their trust in Him. Verse 8, And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones out of the midst of Jordan, as the Lord spake unto Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. Verse 9, And two memorials. 
And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests, which bear the Ark of the Covenant, stood, and there they are, and they are there unto this day. So in the middle of the Jordan River, they made a pile, a pillar, a column. It was called set up. So it wasn't just, it just, they weren't just laid there on the river floor. They were set up in some way that when you were coming down the Jordan River in a canoe, you were doing some river rafting or whatever you were doing, you'd see those stones poked up out of that river and you'd say, Dad, what are those? Or if you were a man, you would know this is where it was dry. It sure isn't dry now, but it was dry and Israel passed over on dry ground. The Lord wants memorials in our lives. When have you given a memorial to the Lord? When was the last time you remembered things in the 40, 30, 50, 60, 70, 80 years of your life of what God has done for you? He needs to be remembered. Your children need to hear of them for the sake of their souls. Verse 10 tells us, For the priests which bear the ark stood in the midst of Jordan, until everything was finished, the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua, and the people hasted and passed over. All that Moses commanded Joshua, what would that be? You're about to be reminded. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over, that the ark of the Lord passed over and the priests in the presence of the people. Three million people watching. Two million people watching. We don't know the total number of the nation, but there were 6,000 footmen the last time we had them counted. The armies are very numerous, as we have mentioned in the book of Numbers. Verse 12, And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses spake unto them. There we have that the two and a half tribes, remember? Moses had extracted an oath from them. Now, we, we covered all this because it's first mentioned in chapter 1. Joshua's first piece of business was to go charge the three tribes, don't you dare neglect us by staying over there on the east side of Jordan. When we pass over Jordan, you have got to send your armed men with us because that's the deal and that's the terms on which Moses gave you that side Jordan. And they said, we will go. And whatsoever you say, we will do. And if any man in our tribes does not do what you have said... We will kill them. Amen. Praise the Lord. Joshua 1. They were committed to doing the will of God and fulfilling what Moses had charged them to do. And here's 40,000 prepared for war, passed over before the Lord unto battle to the plains of Jericho. Because the waters are about to go back into place. And so the three tribes need to have their, their fighting men over there. This wasn't all their fighting men. You know, one of the first thoughts you have is, did God do a miracle in protecting all their women, children at home? No. Moses took the best of the best and took 40,000 out of their 130,000 because if you go read the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy, you find out that their armies were far in excess of 40,000 of those two and a half tribes. But the water is about to go back into place, so we need the, the armies of those two and a half tribes on this side of the Jordan, the west side, in order to be able to help the other ten and a half. Verse 14, On that day the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. You know, the Lord had said that's what he's going to do in chapter 3 and verse 7. And here he did it. 
because everything Moses said, the priests do, and everything Moses said, I mean, everything Joshua said was going to come to pass, did come to pass. He was magnified before the people. And the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Command the priests that bear the ark of the testimony that they come up out of Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come ye up out of Jordan. I love this man's obedience. Could the Holy Spirit have written these two chapters in about one quarter of their length? He could have. But he didn't because he wants you to see God spoke to Joshua and Joshua spoke to Israel. God spoke to Joshua. Joshua spoke to Israel. And may we have that same character. God speaks to us and that is what we speak. When God tells us something to do, we do it the way God said it, like Joshua did. Verse 18, And it came to pass, when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up unto the dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place and flowed over all his banks as they did before. All the water that had been heaped up went right back into the place where it was as soon as those priests lifted up their foot onto the dry ground, the waters went back into place. And the whole congregation is there to watch it happen. Joshua said it was going to happen. Joshua ordered the priests. And it was when the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders touched the dry ground, the water went back into place. Verse 19, And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. I had a very small family last night for devotions, but, but I have a great deal of pleasure reading the several times that it occurs here that this crossing of Jordan occurred right in the face of Jericho. Can you imagine the king of Jericho and the city council of that city when the spies came back to report what they had just seen? <laughs> oh, brethren. You know, their loins were loosed. What? No way. They call another spy over. What did you see? What he said is what happened. The waters ran down to the Dead Sea, and they stacked up in the other direction. It was all dry ground, and all two to three million of them came across on dry ground. And they're out there carrying these boulders. We were using our binoculars. They had these great big stones on their shoulders. They set up a column. But they, and they had this little gold box. The sun was reflecting off it because it was all gold. It had some winged creatures over top of it. And it just stood there in the middle. And when they went into the water, the waters were cut in half. And when they came out of the waters, the waters flowed back into place. You got, Can you imagine the consternation in the city council of Jericho? And it happened right in their face. Why didn't they repent? Why didn't they come running out of that city and fall down on their faces and beg for mercy? Because Joshua chapter 11 is going to tell us God hardened their hearts to come in battle so that the Israelites would not have to deal with that difficulty. So they hold themselves up in their city as if their little concrete walls are going to stop the God of all the earth? Oh, we should never be like that, should we? We should always humble ourselves before the Lord of all the earth. He's able to take care of us. What, what a story. We come to the first verse of chapter 5, and with this I close, because I want, to, I want you to see the effect that it had on others. Chapter 5 and verse 1, It came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites 
which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, that is the Mediterranean, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted. Neither was their spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. Praise the Lord. He's taking care of His church. And all the nations of Canaan are petrified, terrified, paralyzed. Their hearts are melting because the waters just disappeared before the children of Israel because of their God and the Ark of the Covenant of their God. Brethren, you're going to have a Red Sea in your life. You're going to have a Jordan River in your life. Step into the step into the brim of the water by trusting in the Lord and putting Him first. Right. Sanctify your families. Consecrate yourselves to the Lord. Throw out every worldly thing. Put the Lord back in the preeminent place in your heart and in your life and in your family's life and step into the water. The Lord will divide the waters for you and see you safe into the things He's promised for you. He took care of Israel. He'll take care of you. And one of these days, the antitype of the land of Canaan, which is heaven itself, we will step into the waters, the cold, chilly waters of the Jordan, which will be death. And we will pass into the presence of the Lord, into the true promised land, a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God, heaven itself. Are you ready to do that? These chapters are given to stir up our faith and to build our faith. May the Lord bless us to have this faith. Prepare yourselves now. Jordan rivers are coming in every one of your lives. Be ready for them to pass through on dry ground by keeping the Lord first, following Him, doing exactly as He has detailed for us, and sanctifying ourselves before Him. He'll do wonders. May Jesus Christ the great antitype of Joshua and the priest together. He is the mediator and messenger of the covenant who has gone into heaven itself now and he's preparing a place for us in the true promised land. He is the captain of the Lord's host and he's our high priest. He's our all in all. Put your trust in him this day. Love and delight in him. He has defeated death, not just seven nations of Canaan, and he'll see us into heaven forever. Amen.